0: Hello, Internet. We are the people of the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey.
1: We equip transformational leaders to make disciples of Jesus Christ and grow vital congregations to transform the world.
0: We ask your questions to fellow leaders of Greater New Jersey, the church, and beyond.
1: We talk about inspiration, vitality, and leadership.
0: This is the Uncovered Dish Podcast. And I'm your host for today, James Lee.
1: And Caitlin Deal.
0: All right, we're back with a second episode.
1: James, this is so exciting. We didn't crash and burn. They actually like
0: us. Guys, uh, the response we got from our pilot was simply overwhelming. Now, we've been working on this podcast for a long time. And, you know, we're very grateful many of you love it and feel it is helping you in your ministry. So thank you.
1: And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a comment and a five-star rating. And tell your pastor, tell your friends about our new podcast. Tell everyone. If you have any questions or suggestions for us, be sure to email us at podcast at gnjumc.org.
0: Now, today's podcast is going to be about new disciples and new faith communities. Our guest is Trey Wince, the director of New Disciples of the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey. And we ask him about evangelism in the 21st century and what the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey is doing to create 90 new faith communities by 2018. If you're a church planter or have any interest in new faith communities, you do not want to miss this Uncovered Dish. As of February of this year, Trey was uh, appointed as the Director of New Disciples for the United Methodist Church of Greater New New Jersey. Basically, that means that for uh, all the 560 or so churches in the Greater New Jersey area, Trey is a resource encouraging churches to grow with new disciples and to grow new faith communities. Trey, we're very excited to have you. Thanks very much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Trey. (laughs)
0: Thank you.
1: So today's Dish, as you know, we're the Uncovered podcast. So today's... This? Is that our podcast name? Something like that. Uncovered Dish. It's Uncovered Dish. Uncovered it's work, working yeah.
0: title? Is that what they call it in the biz? Uncovered podcast actually sounds very risque, so Uncovered Dish. That's uh, what we said, uh, so yeah, yeah, That's a different category. Yeah, different. That's the other podcast. That's later tonight. <laughs> this this is, is a strong start, folks. I think we're doing right great. all right. All
1: right. So today's dish that we have for you guys today is provided by St. Andrews UMC in Spring Lake, New Jersey. They brought us donuts. We are Mm. so excited for the donuts they brought us today. Actually, St- Trey
0: already started. I have. I've donuts. been carving up for
2: the interview. So if, if, if you hear a noise, it's just my whole body shaking from the sugar. It's fine.
1: Awesome. St. Andrew's Church is a vital congregation doing some awesome stuff. So thank you, St. Andrew's, for the donuts.
0: If you want to learn more about St. Andrew's United Methodist Church, you can go to their website at standrewsspringlake.org. Cool. All right. So let's uh, get let's get rolling here.
1: I actually learned this fun fact. Can I share with your name? Please. I
0: Oh, with my name. I yeah. thought
1: this was the best fun fact. So your first name is not actually Trey.
0: That's true. What?
1: I know James doesn't know this, so that's why I want to. Feel a, I
0: feel, I uh, feel tricked. Right. Mm. So can you? There's a betrayal <laughs> in my heart. What is your real name, Trey Wentz?
1: <sighs> my
2: real name is William Earl Wentz III. That's right. <laughs> William Earl Wentz III. Where does Trey come in there? Wait,
1: wait, wait for it.
2: Cause I'm the third. Uno, due, (laughs) tre.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Really? It's true. It's true.
2: Earl wins the third. That's exactly right. Which will get you beat up on the playground. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just saying like it made me a tough kid.
0: So was your dad dos?
2: No. my, My dad goes by Bill. Um, We were talking
1: about his son. Uh, His son is the fourth. My son's the
2: fourth, but he goes by Liam. It should be Uh, (laughs) Quattro. My wife disagrees with him. (laughs) Quatt wins would get you beat up, too. That'll get you beat up. Either way.
1: So your parents kind of had that in mind. Yeah. like, we're going to name you William, but we're really going to name you Trey. For the
2: sake of your life on the playground, we're going to call you Trey. (laughs) That's very
0: very thoughtful of (laughs) them. Well, I think so. Yeah, they're thoughtful people. That's good. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so Trey, uh, you know, you just kind of started working at the at the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey not too long ago, but um, just tell us about more about your background. I um I, I've got a, a pretty varied church background,
2: um, which I would like to think gives me a unique perspective. I guess probably everybody thinks their perspective is unique. That's how perspectives go. But um, I, I grew up in Oklahoma, which is sort of the land of of large churches. Um, I, I actually grew up going to a very large church and then that church turned into something called LifeChurch.TV, which some of our listeners might know about. Um, and that, I mean, that's, that's where my family goes now. So I have sort of this background of megachurch. Uh, and then I got connected to the mainline church, which is not typically very mega, uh, but it has, it's been a really interesting combination of perspectives uh, in terms of how church should be led, but what we should expect in terms of excellence and things like that. So anyway, it's been fun, and now I find myself in New Jersey, uh, and this has been a totally unexpected a pleasure, really, to get to work with churches here in Jersey.
1: You know, you're the director of New Disciples, so what does making a new disciple like, mean to you?
2: Uh, It's a great question because, um, unfortunately, I think it's not a question we're asking in our churches a whole lot. We know that it's generally a thing we should be doing as Christians, uh, but it's not something we actually plan on or create expectations or things like that. So everybody knows generally we're supposed to be doing something like that, but we we just don't know what it takes or what it looks like when we've actually accomplished that thing. So uh, I think a really simple way of saying it is that we are inviting people into a walk with Christ. And that is vague enough, sufficiently vague to start us out. The way we actually encourage our churches to do that, I do think, is by giving sort of fence posts or benchmarks along the way. And that's not a way of, like, rating how good of a Christian we are. But what it is doing is giving people clear expectations for what it means to invite other folks into a life of faith. So um, churches oftentimes oversimplify it. And I think that's actually a good thing because it's something we can get our heads around. So maybe a life of faith is regularly, like step one is regularly being a part of a faith community on, say, Sunday mornings. Maybe step two is not doing faith alone, investing in a small group. Maybe step three is um, starting to actually act out our faith outside the four walls of our churches. So this is local mission work. This is acts of service, things like that. Uh, Maybe step four is doing something with our money on purpose, investing in uh, acts of service. So it can be fairly simple. I just think it's wise of us to actually name these things so that people know what target they're supposed to be aiming at. Does that make sense?
1: No, absolutely.
0: So um, from a church's perspective, you know, um, I guess this big uh, church word gets thrown around around a lot, uh, evangelism. What's the difference between making a new disciple and evangelism? so evangelism it does uh
2: depending on what circles you run around in evangelism has got a bit of a bad name uh and i too have met the guy with a megaphone on the corner and he has told me that i was going to burn in a lake of eternal fire and i understand your apprehension um it, it was it was uncomfortable for me and if you had that moment it was probably uncomfortable for you uh However, I would say, please don't just pitch the word evangelism. My experience is, if something is important to you, if something has been life-changing for you, you're going to tell your friends. So, for some of you out there, that's CrossFit. And believe me, we have listened to you talk about CrossFit day in and day out. I understand that it changed your life. For others of you, it might be your faith. And uh, if... If it is, the expectation is you are going to talk to other people about it. Your life was one particular way, and then you entered into this life of faith, and it changed. And why in the world would you not share that? So, so much of it um, is, is just sharing your story. And if your story happens to be a life of faith, that's what you're sharing. Um, that's what we want to normalize. We want to normalize um, in our churches the activity of, of of sharing how our faith is. So much of, of what we're permitted to talk about for whatever reason is like the weather and how work is going and how busy we are and our kids, but we would never mention our faith even though we say it's sort of this core value that drives who we are. We'd like to normalize
0: that so people get more and more comfortable sharing what God has done in their world. That's so fascinating because that is so true that um, even even in the church community, some people find it very difficult to share about their faith and just talk regularly. like about their faith. Why do you
3: think that is?
2: Because we all have been at Thanksgiving dinners that got really uncomfortable when people talked about uh, faith or politics. And so we basically just said, you know what, let's keep it to the weather, uh, and then everybody will get along just fine. And I get that except for how boring it is, and, uh, and frankly, unimportant. Uh, I think that it's worth our while to learn to talk about important things, like say politics, but in this case, more importantly, our faith in a way that doesn't make people feel so defensive, but it's just a sharing of our story. Uh, to go back to the <laughs> CrossFit analogy, frankly, other people don't typically feel attacked when you talk about CrossFit, maybe bored, but not attacked. Whereas when we b- bring up um, faith, people like intrinsically feel like there's something they're being shamed about when we're talking about our own faith. And I think it's worth, uh, you know, I don't have a magic bullet, but I think it's worth us exploring how to do that well.
0: No, you, you tackle on such a fascinating point, but see, why do you think? Why is it that it's fine that people don't feel attacked when we talk about CrossFit, even though that's something that's very passionate to, for someone? Mm-hmm. But we get so defensive and upset when people talk about their faith.
2: This is this is, I think the the big uphill climb we have with with reclaiming evangelism, if you will. Um, wh- I will be one of the first to say that uh, in many ways, the church has earned its bad reputation. And and that is not bad-mouthing the church. That would be my version of confession. That is just to say we have not done it right, and we have done things in a way that have been shaming to other people when we talk about a gospel of hope. Um, That— you know, the, the immediate knee-jerk reaction is, so do you have no standards and things like that? And no, that's not the case. But I think that bottom line, talking about the gospel should be an exercise in hope, not an exercise in shame. Uh, but we have a long history where that has not been the case. Mm. And um, I frankly just think, you know, the reason we talk about learning how to reclaim evangelism is because uh, we, we have some br- almost like some branding, some rebranding to do. Uh People are going to have an automatic under, uh, assumption about what we're talking about the second we bring up faith. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't feel attacked as much as, gosh, they're just acting out of a long history. And uh, it's worth our while to
0: um, to make a new name for ourselves, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's it's an upward battle, but it's a bath, battle worth fighting. Yes, I think it's definitely worth investing in. Mm-hmm. So um, I just want to transition the uh, conversation over to uh, new faith communities Mm -hmm. because, you know, another part of making new disciples is also starting these new faith communities. Now, uh, the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey, in their strategic plan, uh, made a very bold plan Mm -hmm. to start 90 new faith communities by 2018. Is Mm -hmm. that right? That's right. Um, That sounds kind of scary. How do you plan to do that? It's my job, and I assure you, it's very scary.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it also, it, it, it sounds very aggressive, but quite frankly... Uh, I, I think it's the
0: baseline for what we need to be doing. Before we go in too much, can you uh, s- just kind of define what a new faith community is? Yeah, no, and that's a great question. There, yeah.
2: um, first of all, we I, I try to use new faith community, that terminology, as opposed to church planting, uh, mainly because we have a very narrow imagination for what church planting is. And we tend to immediately think and when people hear this they tend to immediately think you know the church with the steeple that people come to on Sunday and then they leave and stuff like that and that is a version of a new faith community but I don't want it to be the only version of a new faith community that we think of so um, you know there are all sorts of experimental things we, obvi- we we know that there is this collective history where people sort of miss oftentimes not all people but people can mistrust that standard image of the church but they do care about faith they do think the spirituality thing is important They just don't want to walk into a place with a steeple, and we get that. So there are all sorts of new church initiatives popping up in coffee shops and bars and living rooms. Um, There are business entrepreneurial endeavors, things like that, and all of those should count as faith communities. Matter of fact, I actually think this does really good work in that... Um, it keeps us from relegating all things faith to what happens in a church. It sort of blurs the line to where faith belongs in a whole. It belongs in the marketplace. It belongs in our homes. It belongs um, where we would go get drinks with friends, things like that. So I actually think this is a really positive turn, um, but. It can be into those things I just mentioned. It can even be in a church. It could be a small group that is geared for people who are not presently connected to church. Um, it could be a second service or going multi site or something like that. There's a whole lot of space. So that's why I use that term. Hopefully that kind of helps. So, and back in terms of 90 new faith communities, uh, Here's what we know in terms of just maintaining the present number of churches. Uh, If an area, and that could be a city in the United Methodist Church, it might be a conference, you know, different denominations or groups have church planting um, areas. If they're not planting at a rate of 1% of the total number of churches per year, they can pretty much expect a a decline. So for our 500 plus churches, that means a minimum of five per year must be planted just to maintain where we are. That's a pretty significant number, uh, and that's just to maintain. So if you want growth, we're talking about 2 or 3%. That should put into perspective how crucial it is, um, and this is just number crunching. Uh, it, churches have a lifespan. Uh, And that's sort of a painful thing for people to get their head around because, you know, your great-great-grandmother was baptized in this place and your grandmother donated that couch that's been there for 50 years and all of those things. And so it's hard to think about a church with a lifespan, but the fact is new churches reach new, you know, unchurched people infinitely better than existing churches do. And that's not the fault of existing churches. They do great ministry, but if we want to continue growing, uh, matter of fact, if we want to not shrink, it must be via new churches and revitalizing old, quite frankly.
1: No, that's great. And I know you just touched on this next question a little bit. So we have all these churches and I know a lot of people are very skeptical on why do we need all these new faith communities when we already have all of these churches already out there who are that are declining so why don't we put our resources into you know growing those churches instead of planting new ones what would you say um somebody who is kind of questioning that
2: it's it's a hard conversation and it's um you can't it's not so simple as to just say hey well listen uh, we see the numbers and new churches are the ones that reach new um, believers that reach unchurched people and old churches aren't by and large. And so let's just all invest our money there. Well, it's a pretty painful thing when these churches who have been around for 50, 100, 200 years feel neglected um, when they're a part of your group. Um, and so it's a pretty tender balance. And uh, by and large, the answer is this this is a a, we say yes to all options we want to support existing churches we want to revitalize existing churches but we are very cognizant of the of the numbers and existing churches 80 to 90 percent of their growth this is and by existing churches i mean churches over 20 years old 80 to 90 percent of their growth is from uh, members of other churches transferring to their church for new churches this is churches under 15 years old Um, 60 to 80 percent of their growth is is made up of people who were not previously churched that's a pretty monumental number and we need to recognize it in terms of how we invest our church growth
1: what are some examples of successful new faith communities that are happening here in the greater new jersey
2: sure we've got um one that's just been exciting, and I think we've kind of done some promotion about this lately, but I, I was just meeting with the group yesterday, and there's cool things going on, and it's up in Fort Lee, New Jersey, which is across the Hudson from New York City, and uh, it's called Greenhouse. Um, it is essentially, the term we use is mother-daughter church plant, so there is an existing church in East Brunswick, and they are sending this church out um, you know, about an hour north to try this out, and... Um, They've done some really hard work over the past nine months. They've um, met every single week to pray in the area, to connect with people in the area. That group has grown. They've done these preview services uh, that have gotten really great turnout. I've got, I got to be at the very first one. It was very exciting. Uh, and they launch uh, September 11th is their first official launch. They're meeting in a hotel. Uh, and they've just done a whole lot of things Right. And, um, and they're seeing right now, you know, numerically and in terms of lives that are changed, already they're seeing, uh, they're seeing the rewards for that. So that's been very exciting. And that, that's a hard way of doing a church plant. Um, I mean, that's just a lot of work. It's a new faith community uh, in sort of the classic church sense. Uh, but they're doing it right. Then we've got uh, Kingston United Methodist Church, which is um, where I was. And just about, oh, gosh, five or six years ago, um, an average Sunday morning was 12 to 15 people. Um, This is a 135-year-old church, um, but um, we took some resources, we invested in that church, um, and it it made a connection with a young adult community nearby and began to grow, and it has since grown very, very fast. Um, Once it hit capacity, they launched a second service, um, and that has done very well. So uh, there are now two services. It's a healthy church. It's one of those great... Great stories of what it means to, uh, you know, to wisely invest in an existing church, and then that church turn around and take an immediate risk by starting a new faith community, which is a second service, which is oriented toward people um, who don't normally go to church, um, in particular young adults, and they made changes across the board to make space for young adults. I think it, they did a great job.
1: As a leader, what are some things you, you know, talking about all these success, you know, success stories? I'm trying to think with a question, like as a leader, what are some steps that they can take um, to either, you know, revitalize an existing congregation or starting a, you know, new faith community.
2: Hmm. Uh, one thing I, do, I would. I would ask of everybody listening is is to consider the idea that every church should always be in some version, some some part of the process of church planting. Um, It is it is something we all wait until we get healthy and then we do or like that's our tendency because it's risky. Um, but over and over and over again, uh, churches, frankly, that are not ready in a whole lot of ways, what they find is it ends up being revitalizing because everybody steps back and says, what's the most important thing? What are we trying to do? They work on something that is both important and hard together. And so uh, it, the, the process of church planning is actually what helps revitalize. So first and foremost, I would say everybody consider it. Um, don't be thinking, I wonder if I meet the criteria. Are you a church? Then you do. Um, it's just part of what, you know, scripturally, also, you, that's just what we do. We replicate, we're always growing. Um, two, I would say, don't do it alone. There, there are so many good organizations that, uh, that offer really good advice um, and a really good sort of cohort of people to plant alongside of. Um, there's no reason in the world somebody should have to sit in their office and try to come up with some strategic plan by themselves when there are too many good organizations to do this alongside of. Um, do it with, uh, with other pastors in the area. Shoot, just have a monthly coffee with other pastors and say, what would you do? and see what bubbles up. But no Christian, frankly, should have to do any part of their faith story alone, but certainly not church planning. It's hard. Uh, lastly, I would say do the hard work of, um, yeah, people will call it, it's basically demographic and psychographic training. Uh, so actually do the work of looking at the area that you're wanting to plan in and find out, first of all, who are your people? So don't try to launch a hipster service as you move into an over 80s community. Um, it's probably not going to go very well. Right, right.
1: Yeah, no, really? I <laughs> know I'm it, not, I know it. I might. Hey, you know you what? You might get something
2: like... Hey, might get something. I know a lot of 85-year-old ironic <laughs> people, and they would love, you know, yeah, to wear right. ironic t-shirts
0: and show up. Yeah, it would be great. New movement going on in there the is. 80s community. Okay,
2: well, I apologize. <laughs> don't rule that one out. They were 80 before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So um, you've got to know your demographics. You've got to know who your people are. Um, You've got to recognize that without taking the spiritual aspect out of this endeavor, there are many small business sort of lessons and mindsets we need to know. Like we need to be responsible with money. We need to know who our audience is and we need to... to, to cultivate a message or craft a message that goes specifically to that audience. And so that means know your demographics, that's uh, ages and that is nationalities and that's languages and um, that's socioeconomic backgrounds, but then know your psychographics. And that is essentially, what are the perceived needs of that area? Um, uh, That might be different than what are the needs of that area? Because what really matters is what they think the needs are. And then think and pray and deliberate about how the gospel speaks to those particular needs. Um, These are just sort of basic things we do to, you know, the gospel has always been a pretty entrepreneurial thing, uh, or Christianity has been an entrepreneurial thing. It has moved along um, in creative ways, and there's no reason we should stop that now.
0: Mm. So say I'm a pastor in in the Greater New Jersey area or a church leader, and I really want to be better equipped to be better at this thing of um, promoting new disciples and even going towards creating new faith communities. What are some resources here in Greater New Jersey that they can tap into without having to feel like they have to do this all by themselves? What are some resources they can tap into?
2: The first one I would say by far is, is our, our PACE Group initiative. And uh, sort of the under, the driving reason behind Pace is is really what you just said. Don't do this alone. Um, so what is what is Pace? Pace is a um, it's a cohort model. Uh, it's for pastors in Greater New Jersey to gather together around a particular topic, and sometimes that is um, church leadership excellence. Sometimes that is uh, church growth or new faith communities. There there are all sorts of topics that we can connect by, uh, and we we meet monthly. Um, it's typically for about three hours or something like that, which is always hard for a pastor to carve out, and it was—it's always been worth my while. Um, you just walk away. I—I I am continually surprised by how lone ranger the pastoral life feels. Uh, it has been that way for me, and I hear it a hundred times over from other pastors. And uh, it flat doesn't have to be. And it's always inconvenient to carve out time to be with other people in your position, and it is always it's, it always leaves us better. So we just recognize exactly that. We recognize that it's hard to carve out time. So we're trying to help, uh, facilitate that. Uh, and, um, and we recognize that we're always better once we do. So, you know, our goal is to get as many of our pastors as possible, uh, into PACE groups. It just feels like that, um, that should be a baseline for pastoral health and, and, and church excellence. Uh, the other one that's—it's uh, there are a couple things. One's kind of interesting, and um, this isn't for everybody, but we have a program that's really evolving quite a bit lately called Mosaic. Uh, Mosaic is is geared toward tra- recruiting and training excellent young pastors for our churches. Um, one of the sort of taglines we have is we want um, young pastors to get ten years experience in two years. Huh. What that, yeah, what that means is we're, we're we're pairing them together. We're pairing people together so they're not doing it alone. Um, oftentimes, it's while they're in seminary, quite frankly, and then we meet uh, typically monthly. Sometimes a retreat um, to do uh, to do supplementary training. One of the things one of the things we keep finding is. Um, So many of pastors are trained sort of theologically or in pastoral care, um, but they get out of seminary or training or Bible school or wherever it is they go, and they find out that they were never trained in leadership. Mm-hmm. And so, um, how to cast vision? How to make a year-out calendar? How to read a budget? Um, all of these things. How to how to navigate a difficult meeting? Things like that. Uh, we haven't learned, and those are actually where the rubber meets the road in church leadership. And so, this is to help supplement that. So, um, eventually, what we want to do is, I think, a lot of these. Uh, this curriculum, a lot of these monthly meetings, become available to a wider group. So maybe just stay tuned on that. I think it'll be a beneficial thing.
0: So if I'm a I'm a young, a young uh, f- Christian who feels called to become a pastor, maybe going to, to, to Mary. seminary talk to
2: who talk to me talk to Trey Wentz if you're out there you talk to me All right. <laughs> uh, we how had, many
1: people do you have in the program there's
2: about 15 16 right now
1: oh and they're all from all over greater New Jersey all over
2: greater New Jersey um, churches that they're serving in range from fairly small to, to over 100 um, and uh and I'll tell you what, it, the churches are growing on average quite a bit. Uh, I think the churches are responding to really good student leadership. There's energy, they're doing it in a cohort. Oh, wow. It's a fun thing.
1: Is this open to outside of Greater New Jersey?
2: Uh, you know what? Here's the great thing. It's a young project, so I'm down for any kind of conversation. So <laughs> if we talk to the right people, I, I, we mainly just want to train excellent pastors. Um, we think, regardless of where somebody goes after this two year project, uh, it's going to leave the church universal in a better place,
0: and that feels like a good investment. Awesome. I think we're ready for the last question. Uh, you want me to do it? You want to
1: do it? It so doesn't You can uh, help me out. So, we ask all of our guests this question. Mm. We don't prepare you beforehand, so be a little bit nervous.
0: Oh, no. It's not about donuts. It, mostly start. <laughs> Posting it online, though, I think people will have a that heads up. That is true. So, but right now, right now none, of the, get... none of the episodes have been actually published, so this is this is completely new to Trace. That's kind oh, of
1: fun. Oh, gosh. So, our last question. Is Blue. Because...
0: <laughs> no. I'm trying to guess. You
1: got it. You won.
0: <laughs> Did I get it right? Ding, ding, ding. How do I win? The
1: important thing is, how
2: do I win this question? That's what's important to me.
1: <laughs> so, because we're the Uncovered Dish, we love food, we ask all of our guests this last question. If you can have a choice of only one dish for the rest of your life that you could only oh. eat i know i see the pain in your face oh, our audience and is... i can see it <laughs> breakfast lunch and dinner only one dish you can choose from what
0: would it be
2: what you need to know is like a little family history would you like as a part of the, okay yes. the day i turned 16 years old my mom handed me a tie and said go get a job don't come don't come home till you have a job I think is the direct quote.
1: Very so I people. put on the
2: tie, yeah, <laughs> um, and I wanted to go to all the cool places in town where the cool kids work. Not that I was one of them, but I thought like maybe I'll become the cool kid if I work at the cool place. But Little Caesars Pizza was right around the corner, and um, I was like, well, I'll stop there and, and uh, I fill out an application, and they hired me on the spot. And I was like, okay. So I was home like 20 minutes later, my mom was like, why are you home? And I, well, it was because I have a job at Little Caesars. I worked there for almost three years. And I kid you not, I averaged about a medium pepperoni pizza a day um, for those three years, and I never got tired of it. And I, knowing that, I think I've got to go with pepperoni. I never grew out of it. I want pepperoni pizza for the rest of my life.
1: I I will concur with that answer.
2: Thank you. You I, you did it right.
0: <laughs> I feel like pepperoni is very greasy, though, isn't it? Like,
1: it's just so I feel good. Like no.
0: It's good, but I feel like after like two years of it, man, that's it's just... Nobody likes a quitter, James. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. And we end that's it. That. Awesome. All
0: right, Trey, uh, thanks again for coming on the show. It was great talking with you. Um, if you are looking to learn more about how to make new disciples, or if you are considering um, a new faith community in your church, uh, be sure to contact Trey Wince at T W I N C E at G N J U M C is there anywhere else that we can reach you, Trey? I think that's the best spot, for sure. E- email is the way to go. And all right. to learn
1: more about Pace Groups and Mosaic, you can visit the gnjumc.org website for more information.
3: All right. Thanks, Trey. Thank you Thank all so much. You. This is great. All right. Thanks for the donuts. Do you play in a praise band, serve as a worship leader, or sing in the choir? You'll want to check out Doxology, a worship conference. People just like you from the United Methodist Churches throughout Greater New Jersey are coming together to learn new ways of praising God through worship at Doxology on November 12th. If you serve in worship ministries, you won't wanna miss it. Our learning tracks include traditional worship, contemporary worship, preaching, and worship in the small church. Pick one track or mix and match from our 10 workshops to customize your learning experience. Leading our workshops will be successful pastors from around Greater New Jersey, seminary professors, and Curtis Parks, the nationally acclaimed worship director, author, and songwriter from National Community Church. There's something great for each of the leaders at your church. If you bring a group, it's cheaper. The registration price is $25 per person or $100 per church. You could bring four or 24 people from your congregation for only a hundred bucks, and that includes lunch. Make sure to sign up by October 31st to attend Doxology, a worship conference on November 12th, 2016. See you there.